So we're carrying on week two um, with um, what I've entitled The Repair Shop. And um, Stephen gave me this topic to speak on, the topic of healing your wounds. Healing your wounds. I've entitled it The Repair Shop. And um, I think, oh man, yeah. <laughs> I think, um, if truth be known, we could all do with a bit of fixing up. Anybody here doesn't need a bit of fixing up? Uh, I can tell you that I, 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 I do. I do. I'm reminded of that, um, those three words that um, most parents dread on Christmas Eve. I, I know this from our own Christmas Eve many years ago when I was given a, a task and it was a box and it was a kitchen. We've still got it for our daughter. And on the front of the box it said, some assembly required. <laughs> now those that know me know that that means, you know, uh, all the bits are not going to be there. I'm going to have to use power tools and all kinds of things. And, and um, anyway, uh, we struggled with this thing till about two in the morning. Uh, and then I finally said to Wendy, can I help you, love? <laughs> <laughs> but there is a repair shop with an expert repairer because Jesus, before he was a, a wonder worker, was a woodworker. And he knows all about reassembling lives and caring for souls and he can care for your soul and for mine and we carry wounds from wars and words we carry wounds from conflict with others and we carry wounds from words words that are spoken to us words that cut and destroy that old um, childhood rhyme that we used to say sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me how untrue is that and we all suffer from conflicts of wounds and words but there's a repairer who can tend to our souls you know you have a soul can I have that scripture please Joel from Matthew do you know you have a soul in fact I said last week for those that weren't here we think that we um, are a body that has a soul. And actually, the Bible tells us it's the other way around. We are a soul that lives in a body. And um, we, most of us need fixing up and repairing at soul level. If we can get our soul well, we're well generally. And so often, wounds in our soul from, oh men, I love the oh men's from the front, it's great. Wounds in our soul from, from, from conflicts, um, from wars and, and words can be so devastating. And Jesus said this, and he shows us his heart here. This is one of the, I think, only places in the Bible where Jesus tells us what his heart's like. He says, come to me. All you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. Where do you go for repair to your soul? Where do you go for rest for your soul? If you don't know the person of Jesus Christ, then you'll depend upon other things. You'll self-medicate. You'll try and repair your soul with all kinds of things. But Jesus is the one that says, come to me. Because I'm the repairer of souls. He's humble and he's gentle. And he offers to repair the weary soul. So wounds from wars. Wounds from wars. I want to speak about three things. Wars and words. I want to speak about forgiveness or unforgiveness and how that damages your soul. I want to speak about curses, not bad language, but things that have been laid upon you or you may have laid upon others by your words that can damage the soul. And the last thing I want to talk about, and this will send everybody silent, is the burden of carrying a secret sin. That's something we can cover as well. I'm not going to ask you to confess sins in public. But the burden of carrying a secret can be very heavy. Something that's personal that you've done, or again, that's been done to you, that you've carried. Because the wounds to the soul that Jesus says he can give you rest for. So the first one, forgiveness. Wow. Or unforgiveness. Promise John I'd quote here. I've got two C.S. Lewis quotes. Promise John I'd quote C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said this that everybody thinks that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Forgiveness, forgiving people, let me tell you, is hugely challenging and difficult and hard. Good to talk about. Hard to execute. But for the sake of your soul and my soul, we can't afford not to forgive. Unforgiveness is a wound in the soul because it chains you, it chains you, ties you to the person with whom you hold the grudge. It shackles you. Unforgiveness enslaves you. Puts you in a dungeon. And forgiveness, no matter how hard it is, is liberating. Unforgiveness eats you up. Forgiveness frees you up. When you hold a grudge, in the end the grudge ends up holding you. And the Bible talks about, it's in Hebrews 12, I won't go there, a root of bitterness. And unforgiveness in our lives, when we hold it, begins to poison and wound our soul. And so we need to learn, with the help of the Lord, how to forgive. And Jesus, in his repair shop, <clears throat> gives very strict instructions 
about how to care for your soul and for the others. And one of the things he says when he said the Lord's Prayer, when, he, when the disciples said, teach us to pray, and he, and he prayed, forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive our sins. Who's prayed that prayer? Forgive our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And Dr. Kendall, R.T. Kendall, says that that prayer makes liars of us all. But you see, the Lord forgives us so much, he wants us to forgive others. And forgiveness is, is, is willingly to clear someone's debt. Everything within you can plead for justice, for revenge. You can feel righteous anger, how you want to see them suffer. <laughs> but it poisons your soul. Someone said the first to apologise is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. And the first to forget is the happiest. And when the, the Apostle Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive? And he thought about the maximum under the law. He said, should I forgive seven times? And the Lord's response to him was, no, no. You forgive 70 times seven. In other words, there is no limit. And why is that? That's because there is no limit on the forgiveness that Jesus offers to you. We can tend to think, you know, Lord, you can't forgive me again. Yeah, he does. The requirement is to ask for forgiveness. But forgiveness with God to you is extended in a limitless volume. He will forgive you again and again and again. And as a Christian, we're asked to do the same. We're asked to do the same. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. Maybe not now. But the requirement is we're commanded to forgive. Ephesians 4 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And in Christ, God extends to us mercy. I'm so pleased he does, aren't you? He extends mercy again and again and again. And because God is infinite, his mercy is infinite. So he extends it to you like waves again and again and again. He extends to you mercy. And he asks the same of us. C.S. Lewis says this. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Because God has given, forgiven the inexcusable in you. When we get a grip of what it cost Christ to forgive us, what he went through to forgive us, how he made himself so vulnerable 
Because the extension of forgiveness means vulnerability. We take off our protective skin that we clothe ourselves in and make ourselves vulnerable. When we realise what Christ went through and gave up to forgive us, it makes forgiveness in our own hearts compulsory. The Holy Spirit drives you to forgive. And until we forgive, and if you're holding unforgiveness in your heart, I'm not saying that you are, and I'm being gentle and tender with you, but if you are, then root the poison out. Heal the wound. It's being kind to your own soul. You're being kind to your own soul. People talk about doing supernatural things. See miracles. The great. What we heard about David Elms, I believe it. Because we know I know David Elms. Dr. David Elms, but actually he's got a double doctorate, David Elms. Um, is one of the most humble, meek men I know. And that's wonderful, that. We think about the supernatural, though, don't we? We all want the supernatural. Do you know what forgiveness is? It's moving in the supernatural. Because it's natural to hold a grudge. It's supernatural to forgive. So if you want to move in the supernatural, forgive. Not easy. You might say, well, you know, I, I can forgive, but I just can't forget. Anybody ever heard that? Let me tell you what forgetting is. Do you know God forgets your sins? Here's a conundrum. How can an all-knowing God forget your sins? That's a good one, isn't it? Do you know how he does that? He chooses not to remember. Because forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's a commitment. Forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's a promise. And the promise is this. This is the way God works. You say to yourself, I will not bring that matter up with you ever again. How often we forgive someone then over breakfast or the next, you know, the next tiff we have or whatever, you throw it in the face. Oh, I remember when. That's not God's way. God doesn't do that with you. When you come to him for forgiveness, he doesn't say to you, oh, I remember when. He chooses not to remember. And that's what forgiveness is. I will not bring this up with you ever again. Neither will I bring it up with anybody else. And neither will I bring it up with myself. It's a commitment. When God buries your sins in the depths of the sea, which he promises to, he hangs up a no fishing sign. And he doesn't go fishing. He won't let anybody else go fishing. And you can't go fishing. Your sins are buried. And he chooses to forget. You see, we often forgive, then we hold it over the other person. That's not forgiveness. That's cruelty. That's abuse. And forgiveness isn't felt, first of all. First of all, forgiveness is granted. You grant forgiveness by way of commitment. Do you know the best way to feel good about forgiving? Do an act of kindness to the person you've forgiven. 
Offer an act of kindness. Wow, tough stuff, isn't it, this? This is the repair shop. You know, you've got to do a bit of chipping and poking and pulling skin off to get to where you need to go. Kindness says, I'm willing to bear a risk. I could be rejected. Forgiveness says, I'm willing to bear a risk. You make yourself vulnerable. But, you know, we, we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with our vulnerabilities. And forgiving someone makes us a bit vulnerable. But people connect through vulnerability. So forgiveness really is a, a way of forgiving people's debts and offering connection and risking your heart. But it's the way to minister balm to a wounded soul. Second point, and I'm going to be quick. I've got two more to go through. Forgiveness. Second curses. Wounds, not from wars, but from words. Curses damage the soul. I'm told that if you include scientific words, there are over one million words in the English language. And the average person knows 20,000 and uses 2,000 different words a week and speaks about 16,000 words a day. But you know that as human beings were created in the image of God. And when God uses words, he creates. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the word. And he spoke the word, and the universe was born, didn't he? And we must realize this because we are made in the image of God, we are also creative. And the words you speak to others are creative words. Oh, yes, they are. When you speak a word of encouragement, you lift someone. I got an encouraging text this morning. Lifted me. Mike Carey, pray for me. Mike Carey's a really good mate of mine. I love him loads. I'll tell you that from here. Pray for me this morning. Um, and lifted me. Our words create. So words of encouragement create. The Bible talks about speaking life to people. Do you know you can speak life or you can speak death? And so often we... Sp so often death is spoken. And the words we speak can stick like a barb or a wound in the soul. And when, when people have spoken death to you, you're stupid. You're ugly. You'll never achieve anything. You're hopeless. You're a hopeless father. You're a terrible mother. You're not as beautiful as your sister or as handsome as your brother. Comparison words. You aren't as good as she is. You'll never achieve what your brother's achieved. Do you get the idea? Now, I don't want to put any of those words onto you, but if any, any words like that have been spoken to you, they can wound and distort and shape your soul to your disadvantage and to your distress. They can inflict pain 
when we're overtly critical, we shape other people's perceptions of themselves in a way that is damaging. And people have carried curses on them. These are curses, by the way. People have carried curses for years. And it's like a wound and a barb in the soul. Now, there are certain things that you need to know. First thing is this. Don't carry the curse anymore. We need to pray for you. Quite a simple prayer. Just to release you from that curse. That's the first thing you do. Second thing you do is you need to find out what God says about you. What does God say about you? You know, we shouldn't believe everything that we hear, but we do. You need to come to the repair shop. Spend some time looking at how God sees you. So don't carry the curse. Find out what God says about you, who you are in Christ. And the third thing is this. You need to challenge. I said last week that I would give you some, some techniques to help you with things like anxiety and that kind of thing. I can't do that. I've not time, but... One of the things you can always do is challenge your thinking. Thought comes to your head. I won't get into this now. Thought comes into your head. And we tend to, can tend to catastrophize. That, who does that? I do that. The thought runs away. You know, um, you, know you, get a, you get a flat tire. And before you finish, you have to replace your car, take out a big loan. That means you can't afford your holiday. Your mortgage is going to go, you know. You tend to run away. Always challenge your thinking. And you can stand to one side. You can stand to one side. They call it, the psychologists call it cognitive dissonance. How's that? The, the, um, King David practiced it. He would stand to one side of himself. You can do this with your thoughts. A thought comes into your mind and just, just freeze that thought. Step outside of yourself and think, right. And King David, he would say, why are you cast down, O my soul? He, he would just distance himself from the thought and challenge the thinking. Do I have to believe that? It comes into your head, but you don't have to accept it. You can step outside of it and challenge the thinking. Well, what does God say about that? What does God say about me? And begin to challenge your thinking. So let's pray for you. Spend time finding out what God says about you. And then start to challenge your thinking. In the light of who God says you are. And you'll feel your soul start to revive. And curses can come in lots of forms. Were you wrongly accused? Were you overlooked and pushed down? Were you blamed for something? Do you carry a stigma over what was said to you? Because the Lord wants that soul wound healed and you can be free. Third one and last one. So we've done forgiveness, done curses. Carrying a secret. I was reading, I do a lot of reading. And this came 
to my heart. And it hit my heart like a bolt. I just felt that I should include this today. And I wonder, and I'm not going to embarrass you, okay? Um, But are you carrying a secret? It could be something that's been done to you or something you've done. Let me give you some examples. Did you know that um, Moses carried a secret? He murdered the Egyptian, didn't he? Those that know your Bible in Genesis. Uh, He was high up in um, Pharaoh's palace. He was Pharaoh's uh, grandson, sort of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, He he was adopted and he saw a fight between um, people and he went there and he killed an Egyptian and he buried him in the sand. And he carried, they had to flee, but he carried that secret. David, these are tremendous men of God. David carried a secret, didn't he? He had someone murdered to cover his adultery with Bathsheba. How is that for a man of God? He carried a secret. I could look at others. Jacob carried a secret. And carrying a secret damages the soul. Could be a secret loss about an abuse someone's inflicted upon you could be a sin. And we think that to protect ourselves, we've got to cover up. We we almost develop a second skin. But carrying a secret can, I could speak on this, carrying a secret can numb the emotions and desensitise you because you cover up. I wonder how Moses covered up. I wonder how he, he I wonder how he soothed himself from the trauma of that and the memories of it. I wonder how he blotted them out. I wonder how David did it when he had Uriah murdered. Modern ways, chocolate, wine, beer and TV. Often all at once. We try and escape. Sometimes we form a skin to cover up. We cover up a secret sin. Cover up a secret hurt. Because we feel vulnerable. And we wrap a skin around us. To hide ourselves. And in covering up, we do two things. We distance ourselves from God. And we distance ourselves from other people. And we become isolated. And we become withdrawn. And we become desensitised. From the Holy Spirit and others. Now, the Bible talks about repenting. Mike mentioned this earlier on. Repenting literally means acknowledging the truth about yourself, telling God about it, coming to the repair shop, ask for His help, and then turning away from that thought process. That behaviour pattern and moving in an opposite direction. Now I know that lots of people do that. Repentance is a process. In my experience it's rarely a one-off event. We can repent and we can move away and we can stumble. Well know this, 
that mercy, like billows of water, roll towards you to wash you clean when you repent again. Because forgiveness from the Lord goes on forever. It's inexhaustible. But in repenting, he wants us to take off the skins we put on to cover ourselves. Here's how C.S. Lewis describes it. In one of C.S. Lewis's Narnia books, a boy called Eustace is turned into a dragon. He's later invited by Aslan the lion, the Christ figure in the story, to bathe in a pool that can cleanse Eustace, remake him and rebirth him. But first, he's told he must undress. Eustace is confused until he realises that what it means is that he must shed his old dragon skin. In other words, he has to repent. He has to confess the truth about himself. He tries to do this, but it proves to be hard work. It takes a long time, but he peels off the hard, scaly dragon skin. But when he goes to the water, he looks down at his foot and notices it's just as hard and scaly as it was before he started. In other words, there's another layer of dragon skin under the first layer. He tries again, but the same thing happens. He tries again, and the same thing happens again. And he finally despairs. And then Aslan says to him, He'll have to let me do it. And here's how Eustace describes the experience. I was so afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but it was, I was pretty near desperate now. I just lay flat down on my back and I let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I'd ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab off a sore place, it hurts like bilio, but it's such fun to see it coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled branch, and smaller than I'd been before. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like it much, for I was very tender underneath, now that I had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. As soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone in my arm. And then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. It's a picture of repentance. And in your mind's eye now, what I'd like you to do is just... Can I call the team back to, to worship? In your mind's eye, what I'd like you to do is 
Picture yourself just coming to the repair shop and ask the Lord to just show you your true self. Ask him to help you, see you as you are. If there are things where you need to offer forgiveness, if there are curses in your life. The Lord has spoken to you in any way this morning. Then come to the repair shop and allow the Lord to, to minister to you. It can be a glorious experience to feel him peel off the dragon skin. Can we just pray? Can we just stand?